Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to Felony Friday right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Each and every week here on Felony Friday, I focus on exposing injustice in the broken criminal justice system. And Felony Friday is one of three shows here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, every Friday, you get Felony Friday. Every Monday, you can listen to our flagship program hosted by Mark Clare. And every Wednesday, you can listen to Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams. So be sure to subscribe to Lions of Liberty podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to make sure you get every single episode. Now today on Felony Friday, I'm going to be interviewing Trey Weaver. Trey's a listener of the show. He's a member of the Lions of Liberty Forum, and he reached out to me a few weeks ago. He wanted to share some of the injustice that he has suffered personally and some of the injustice that his family has uh, suffered from the hands of law enforcement and the criminal justice system. Now, I'll introduce Trey shortly. First, before I do that, I do want to let you know that this is episode number 60 of Felony Friday, and that means you'll be able to find links and notes in the show notes. You'll be able to find the show notes page at lionsofliberty.com slash FF60. One last note before jumping right into this interview with Trey. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be releasing our blooper reel uh, from some just completely hilarious and ridiculous outtakes from our shows here at Lions of Liberty. Of course, this is an edited show, and uh, we do a lot of roundtables and things like that here at Lions of Liberty. We do our Libertarians and Living Rooms Drinking Liquor show, all of our debate reaction shows that we had in the during the presidential election. There was a lot of funny stuff that happened, a lot of funny interactions during those shows and the makings of those shows. That did not make it out, was not released. So we put that together. It's going to be released it's going to be exclusive content. It's not going to be public. The only way you're going to get access to that is by joining our Lions Pride, our Lions Liberty supporters group. And you can do that. You can get access to that content, this blooper reel, and all of the upcoming exclusive content that we're going to be producing. We're going to be every month, we're going to have new stuff coming out, exclusive content that will not be released publicly. The only way to get access to it is by joining our Lions Pride, which at the lowest level, which gets you access to all of that stuff, is just $5 per month. So make sure to look into doing that. You can find that. You can find all the information on that at lionsofliberty.com slash support. And I really hope you enjoy today's show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Trey Weaver. Trey is a self-described libertarian, and he actually reached out to me, sent me an email a few weeks back to my Felony Friday email. You can uh, find that email, felonyfriday at lionsofliberty.com. He sent me an email to share some personal injustice that he's felt and also some injustice that his family has experienced at the hands of the criminal justice system, at the hands of law enforcement. So I I spoke with Trey, asked him to come on the show to, to share these stories, and I think from, from his experiences, hopefully we can all learn something from them. So, Trey, welcome to Felony Friday. Thank you for having me, John. Thanks for coming on, Trey. And I appreciate that you're willing to come on to share these experiences that hopefully will benefit others. Um, but also, before we do that, talking when we did email back and forth, uh, you did tell me that, that you're a libertarian and you're also a listener of this, uh, of this Lines of Liberty podcast. So I guess before we get into talking about all your experiences, all your your really your negative experiences with the criminal justice system. I was hoping that you could share maybe 
a little bit of your journey to becoming a libertarian. Maybe just sharing what kind of what kind of gave you that spark that set you down the path towards wanting to pursue the ideas of liberty. Well, my experience with criminal justice is certainly not mutually exclusive from, um, you know, libertarianism. Um, I came around to the liberty movement and, uh, when Ron Paul was running in 2008. Um, so at, at this time, um, I was a liberal, uh, mostly because that's the way my family sort of aligned politically. I didn't really know anything else. So when a friend of mine turned me on to Ron Paul, I was kind of, uh, uh struck because Ron Paul was an, an uh, not anti-war, but non-interventionist. And he was also physically conservative, so this really caught my attention. I didn't know what to do with it because I was sort of set up with this paradigm of left versus right. So, in a way, this uh, Ron Paul 2008 really was what showed me that there was uh, there were people out there that sort of broke that format. So, yeah, you, you came from you came out from the other side for me. I came in from more the the conservative, I guess the the neoconservative Republican arm of it. Okay. But it, it's interesting coming from the liberal side. Liberals do purport themselves at least to pay lip service to uh, criminal justice issues and civil liberties. So, uh, did did you kind of going into it? Did you think that liberals maybe were trying to help or trying to reform the criminal justice system, and then? As you learned more about libertarian principles, maybe you saw that libertarian you know, philosophy is is more grounded in individual rights. And uh, did that kind of crystallize it for you? Um, I suppose so many people um, in, in Iowa, where I'm from, really, um, I was very odd as far as politics. I'm sure we all know that uh, it's a swing state and the straw poll is such a big deal. Um, and being that it's such a hotly contested area politically, people are really confused more or less on where they stand. So a lot of people identify as uh, independent, even though they may vote one way or another when the election comes around. So in my experience, a lot of liberals were actually not very sympathetic to the ideas of criminal criminal justice reform because they have this social conservatism to them in a way, at least from my own experience. Uh, now, the only thing that's really made me question that uh, is just the the online presence of of people in that um, there is definitely a clear distinction that liberals seem to, on average, in the mainstream, care a little bit more about criminal justice reform. And before we get too far, I suppose I should say that my own experience, I can lend a little bit of sympathy to the Black Lives Matter movement in its... Um, um, in its sentiment, but not, you know, obviously in its principle. So you mentioned uh, some of your own that, that you do have yourself some some run-ins with law enforcement, a past with the criminal justice system, and uh, also y- your father and and some friends as well that have that have that have uh, experienced firsthand the horrors of the criminal justice system. So if we, if we could just start off with your story first, uh, if I could ask you first, just to kick it off, when was your your first run in with with law enforcement? What was the first thing that that, that happened? Um, I was arrested for fireworks when I was a teenager. Um, 
uh, because so are, are fireworks illegal in the state of Iowa? I know it's different in different in every state. Uh, yes, they are. Uh, we would have to go to either Wisconsin or I think uh, maybe one of the Dakotas if we wanted to get uh, fireworks, which is, you know, it's silly. They're still around and uh, and people, you know, only shoot them off during the 4th of July. So, you know, one of those uh, useless prohibitions, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> but uh Kind of later at night, I was firing off fireworks because I was a bored teenager. Um, and my neighbors called the police. Police came and, uh, you know, gave my mom a brow beating because, um, um, as you'll come to figure out, uh, my father was in prison. So my mom kind of raised me and my sister by herself. So she was working a lot and she wasn't there at the time. So the police really. Uh, kind of shamed her for my actions, more or less. Um, so, yeah, and then I spent six months on probation for that, and that was my first experience with the criminal justice system. Wow, six months on probation for fireworks. Yeah. That is that is truly insane. Yeah, if you like that, you'll love the rest of my story here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so let's let's just, I guess let's keep going down the path here. So what, what was your next experience? Um, so, and just to give a little bit of background about my town, um, it's a town called Clear Lake, Iowa. Um, this is the place where Buddy Holly played his last show uh, before he uh, crashed outside of town and, and passed away. Um, so it's a small tourist town, uh, very small. Our population like triples almost during the summer. So a lot of the police force is more or less trying to um, not enforce the law as much as maintain this image of the town even though there is quite a bit of post-industrial poverty that, that strikes this place just like any other Midwestern or, or Bible Belt uh, rural area. So yeah, the, the police force is heavily involved in petty drug crime, um, which is kind of what I got caught up in. Um, my second arrest was for marijuana for one gram when I was 16. Uh, when you get arrested for marijuana in, in Iowa, you lose your license almost across the board, no matter no matter the offense. As a 16-year-old in, in rural Iowa, losing your license, you know, that's a pretty big deal. And, and I got also one year of probation for that. So kind of the story about that one, I had seen someone earlier that day, and it was a really odd encounter. Uh, it was someone I hadn't seen for a couple of years, and... Uh, and I don't know, it was just a really awkward confrontation. And he asked what I was doing later and whatnot. And I didn't realize till later when I got pulled over by the police and they were trying to get into my car that he was probably an informant. And basically the police used this excuse to get into my car that, oh, your vehicle fits the, the profile of uh, vandals. And we wanted to get to you before the property owner that uh, called the, the case in got to you first. So, you know, as a 16 year old, I think, oh, well, that's completely reasonable. I'll just let you into my vehicle. <laughs> um, and he said he was looking for eggs, but I don't think you lift up seat covers and whatnot to look for eggs, uh, to which he found a bag of marijuana. So, so yeah, that was my first experience later in life. Um, I got arrested when I was an adult uh, because this this first arrest happened when I was a juvenile, went through the juvenile court system and everything. Right. So the next arrest was for uh, one gram of marijuana again. Um, 
I got arrested by the DNR, actually, uh, Department of Resources. And he called a sheriff. He didn't know what to do with the situation. Uh, long story short, I spent another year on probation and lost my license for another year for that. Another arrest. I got pulled over as a passenger and the police had been watching the, the house that I came from and um, pulled over my friend. He gave them consent to search uh, and search my person and found five grams of marijuana and, and a pipe. And um, only later after this, they thought that I had more at home that, you know, they obviously didn't have access to on my person. So what they actually did was stole the garbage off of my curb and obtained a warrant that way. Back back up there for a minute. So your garbage can is just sitting outside your house. Uh, So they stole it during uh, trash collection day um, to, to clear that up. So essentially, since it's sitting on the uh, on the boulevard, they it's technically not personal property at that point. So they can legally come and take it as public property and basically deduce from that that uh, whatever paraphernalia might have been in the garbage would um, would be an indictment of my criminal activity. Now, I will note uh, that I being in such a crazy situation legally uh, as a marijuana user, I really don't believe I would have had anything incriminating in the garbage uh, because I've actually heard about this happening to other people. So I was smart enough. Um, so I am of the opinion that they lied and obtained an illegal warrant. So w- what did they say they found in the garbage? Then? Um, I don't think it's specified um, on the on any of the paperwork. And of course, as a, wow. as a very as a poor young person, I didn't have uh, any more money than for a public defender, which is uh, expensive enough if you're caught up in the grips of the criminal justice system. So, um, do you feel like you were you were targeted these times? Because certainly, it's absolutely uh, that. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. Um, no, but, go ahead. Go ahead. But I feel like I feel like the the initial first arrest for fireworks is what really brought attention to me. Not to mention. Uh, my family had lived there their whole lives and whatnot. And being as it's a small town, everyone kind of knows everyone. So they knew, you know, the weavers there, you know, I've heard police say this in the midst of myself or friends getting arrested. Oh, those weavers, they're a bunch of, bunch of dope dealers, you know? Um, so, so they obviously have, uh, a target on your back, you know? Even even just from birth, my only crime, more or less, um, was being from a from a broken family. Um, so basically, in this, they came and they raided my house after they got an, a warrant for that um, and destroyed my mother's home. Um, she had a candle business, and they were, you know, I was acting up because you know it's kind of an absurd situation, um, and he's like. Uh, throwing her things around and and really just trashed the place only to find a gram of marijuana. And so I lost my license again. And at this point, I was a delivery driver. So it really, really hurt me uh, financially. And at some point, I got my license back and got pulled over one night after I came from a friend's house because the police had been watching me and he thought that I didn't have my license. So I wasn't pulled over for any traffic infraction. He had just been watching me and and wanted to pull me over. 
Um, so he was watching you that closely. He oh, yeah. knew your car. Yeah, I mean, he thought you shouldn't be driving and pulled you over I, simply yeah. because of that. And I want to wow. be clear, these police have really nothing better to do than target people like myself when I was younger. Um, so, and to add insult to injury, he wrote me up for, um, for not having my license, even though, um, I made the mistake of leaving my license at home. So in a way I was kind of guilty, but I mean, legally, uh, I did have my driver's license. Um, I was given an open container as well. I had grabbed a bottle of whiskey, uh, that I had left at my friend's house the other day. So that's just another useless law in my opinion. Um, there's, you know, it, we can talk about uh, drunk driving being a charge if, if people really want to, but the open container thing is just something on top of that to add to it. Yeah, I know with, with that open container law, I forget, it's probably different everywhere, but I think in Pennsylvania at least, which it makes no sense if you have an open container and it's in like a brown paper bag in your trunk, it's okay. But if it's, if it's in a brown paper bag in your back seat, it's not. So it's just arbitrary bullcrap. Correct. Um, and then, um, so I'm on probation at this point as well. I got a broken foot and wasn't able to work, couldn't pay fines, and then had my probation revoked. And out of nowhere one day, the police uh, very easily tracked me down as, as they can do. And arrested me at a friend's house on revoked probation. I spent two weeks in jail. And luckily, I ended up getting one of the good public defenders who really uh, who, who really did me a service and, and kind of got me free from, from the situation. And I only spent two weeks in jail, and that was it. Um, and, and my boss actually paid off the rest of my fines. Um, so, so I was really blessed in that situation. It could have went a lot worse. I could have ended up going to, uh, to prison. So, so really a turn of fate in that didn't happen to me, but I would say, uh, I've probably paid an estimate of 15, $15,000 in fines. Um, and for a person who I was working in restaurants at the time, I was probably making around $7,000 a year. Uh, so in a four year span, I basically paid two years wages in, um, in fines, $15,000 in fine for completely everything, nonviolent crime. Oh, absolutely. Just, just having, just having a plant that yeah, I've, I've stayed as deemed illegal. I've, I've never hurt anyone in my life, let alone been charged for anything harming someone. So we're going to take a quick break from the interview to take a pause for the cause. Liberty lovers, have you seen our new t-shirt line over at lionsofliberty.store? If you haven't, well, go check them out. But if you have, then you've seen the great design work of my man Dan Smots of Goulash Media. Dan has been a longtime fan of the Lions of Liberty podcast and credits the show with being a big contributor to his interest in libertarianism and politics in general. Dan is a super talented guy, and he is able to contribute to just about anything creative, whether it's graphic designs like you saw with our t-shirts, whether it's videography, he does weddings and that sort of thing, or audio production. He even did the newest jingle for Letters of Liberty. Dan is based out of the Quad Cities area in Illinois, and he's always happy to travel. So if you've got a wedding coming up or any sort of project, video or audio related, I want to highly encourage you to check out Dan Smots and Goulash Media. That's Goulash, G-O-U-L-A-S-H, goulashmedia.net or goulashfilms.com. So do you think, because you mentioned that, that your father spent some time in prison, do you think that, that his criminal past 
cause the police to, to start to target you? Well, my dad had a, a different last name than myself. Um, uh, and he lived in the neighboring town. So I don't necessarily, I think it's more my mom's side of the family, if anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, one one thing that is paramount to this story is that my father um, was arrested for marijuana when I was a child, um, spent two years in state prison for that, for, um, for a felony. And um, then when he got out, he went on to bigger and better things, went on to cook meth, um, and somebody was actually uh, cooking meth in his garage when he wasn't there. Um, the tank ruptured, the uh, tank of anhydrous ruptured, and someone called the police, which um, uh, my dad's side of the family are mostly uh, like Navy and military people and pretty law and order folks. So my uncle is actually a, a DOT officer, and he was one of the people that responded to the call. Um, and by this time, my my dad had fled, and um, you know tried to avoid arrest for a while. Ended up turning himself in, and um, got a uh, career criminal charge. So he spent 15 years in federal prison, two years state, and. Uh, basically estimates uh, about 70% of my life my dad was in prison. Um, so, so I mean, obviously, I'm not going to blame the government for every problem that I've had in my life. Um, you know, uh, there were uh, plenty of plenty of things that my family did without the government's help, <laughs> you know, that, that were, were bad. But it certainly doesn't help to, uh, to break up families like this. And uh, another thing, another part of this is my uh, step or half-brother and sister were brought into child protective services and I didn't actually see either of them until just last year. Um, and they wouldn't even let my aunt and uncle take custody of them, even though they are police officers and, you know, very upstanding members of society themselves. Wow. How old were you when your, when your father went, went into prison for the 15 years? Um, I was, uh, a preteen. I was probably about 12 years old or so. Okay, and he spent fifteen years, fifteen years in prison. And you mentioned to me we were we were talking, uh, we were emailing back and forth that he has been able to successfully reintegrate into society. Um, I, I was wondering um, what why you think that is, and some of the maybe some of the things that that led to that. He yes, he did reintegrate pretty well into society, and I think a big part of that is just uh, a tight knit family and friend network that he has. Uh, he's very blessed by. Uh, having people in his family who are forgiving and uh, people supported him morally throughout the whole situation as he was in prison. And he ended up actually meeting his uh, his now wife uh, when he was in prison. And when he got out, they got married and whatnot. And I think that's a really big part of it. Just having uh, just generally a lot of uh, a lot of support in your life is really something that's that's big for uh, past felons. Yeah, yeah, that that definitely is key. I know personal experience with a family member going to prison for a nonviolent drug crime. In that, you know, supporting him all the way through, visiting, and uh, even more so probably once once he got out, um, you know, the, there's no driver's driver's license, being able to help to transport him to, you know, to a job and 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 stuff like that. So that's that's huge. And I, I don't know percentages, but I would think that the majority of people, once they do get released from prison, a lot of times they don't have that. They're they're on their own, 
And that's why so many people, one of the reasons why so many people just so easily get sucked right back in. Um, so and I do want to touch on this last story I have. So essentially, uh, I'm going to save these people's identity sure. by using pseudonyms. Um, but I will start this in uh, the first chain of arrests. A person named Aaron was arrested in a neighboring town called Forest City. And I we suspect that uh, perhaps the police uh, threatened maybe the custody of his child and maybe he gave up the use of his phone um, because Aaron's phone was giving text messages to another one of my friends' uh, phones. His name is James. And and James basically played the middleman for Aaron to receive some paraphernalia and some marijuana. Um, the person actually dealing with this, his name is Scott. And he went to go actually meet the, the police for, for this transaction. And the, the police set up the deal at a park so that basically to slam him with a, a drug-free zone charge. Just to back up to make sure that I'm understanding this. So a friend of yours is, was arrested and you think that the police had taken his phone and were sending text messages to set up a drug deal to another one of his friends or through a middleman and then met a third friend in a park. Yeah, and and, and yeah, my fault. I'm kind of speeding through it. But but yeah, uh, so essentially, um, and, and I've noticed this trend there before where I've heard of another story where they were following a guy around for a couple weeks. He knew that something was up, but uh, uh, when he was leaving a friend's house one night, they, uh, they followed him until he was near uh, a park and pulled him over right outside of the park and um and slammed him with with the same charge so i know that there's definitely a revenue Mm -hmm. collection element to the the pattern of of arrest in that and and my friend scott that actually met them there uh ended up with three years probation and I, i actually kind of lost touch with him but the last i heard he uh had went to state prison for violations uh related to this arrest and this was an entirely, you know, there was no actual, not that morally there would be anything wrong if there was a, uh, a drug transaction going on, you know, transaction between consenting adults. But this was an entrapment, basically, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they were posing as my friend Aaron, um, basically uh, trying to, trying to, yeah, entrap him into a drug deal. Um, so, and this gets even better. Um, my uh, a third Another friend, his name is is Jim. Um, he's completely separate from this situation. It just so happens his his only crime would be having the same or similar name as as James. They just go by they just go by different you know formalities of the name. Um, and and Jim's home is one block away from this park that they set up the deal at. So ipso facto, uh, these police officers, they know who Jim is um, and and they're just like, oh, it must have been um, it must have been Jim down the street because they saw James in the phone. That was the contact that they were contacting. So um, someone completely separate from the situation, uh, the police went and got a warrant to to raid his house on. uh, And I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I have to think that. Uh, the name and a phone isn't really 
a proof that it's actually that person. You know, <laughs> I, I don't think it is. That's um, crazy. <laughs> yeah, and so so he's completely unsuspecting of this whole situation. And just to just to tell you a little bit about Jim, he's kind of uh, he's a, a theater geek more or less. I call him a, a bard. <laughs> in every sense of the word. He's a musician now and uh, a really great guy. But I mean, he um, he's like a scrawny like kid, long hair, uh, kind of effeminate almost, um, very unthreatening. But these police officers, he's coming out of his home to go somewhere at night and he turns the corner because he sees something and there's five police officers with, with guns drawn on him. Jesus. Like, yeah, um, so, so, and basically when he was recounting the story, he's talking about like, as if they were busting some, you know, Chicago, South side, Chicago drug or gangbanger, you know, like <laughs> they were treating him like he was some sort of just dangerous, dangerous person. Um, so, so if you can think about the absurdity of this situation, you know, you've got five uh, dumb cops coming around the corner, guns drawn at this little effeminate teenager, um, you know, and and they end up getting into his house, um, and he's arrested for having two different vessels of marijuana. Um, and in Iowa, you're given a felony intent to deliver when um, when you have over an ounce. So and what? What? what uh, just to back up, what did that? What do you mean by two different vessels? Two different uh, bags so, of marijuana? Or what, what, what yeah, he 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 kept them in like you know, little pill containers, but he had them in two different containers so that he could, um, you know, keep them separate. Um, because it, if anybody out there is familiar with how cannabis works, you like to keep your stuff separate. Um, you know, uh, just as a, you know, use. if you have different kinds or yeah, you yeah. don't want to mix together. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so basically in Iowa, you're, given a, an intent to deliver a felony charge if you have more than an o- more than an ounce unless they can prove that you may be a dealer so by that metric of him having two different bag or two different you know containers of marijuana um, which totaled to a quarter ounce they uh, basically uh, deduce from that that he is a uh, drug dealer so he is given a uh, felony charge for that tries to fight it in the court system on the grounds that it was an illegally obtained warrant and um you know ends up getting basically railroaded by the court system decides it's not worth it to fight it anymore and just takes a plea deal which i think is a really important part of this um any libertarian uh that knows much about criminal justice knows that um, mandatory minimums are probably the most widely used tools uh, by law enforcement to basically corner a person into just taking a plea deal rather than actually taking it through the courts. Mm-hmm. And for poor people uh, like ourselves, we didn't really have, you know, much ground to fight this this you know monster of of a criminal justice system. And I'll just say that. A lot of people like to think that top-down government is the way that we have to make changes, you know, federal uh, uh, changes to, to criminal justice reform. But I am very much convinced from my own experience that local law enforcement and local government 
is much more of a danger to people's liberties than the federal government, even though I'm not going to uh, take away all the people who are victims of, of the federal government's crimes. Yeah. Wow. When, when you told me you had some stories, I did not know that you, <laughs> you could write a book with this stuff in it, man. You could probably do a whole nother episode on, on more stories. So, so some <laughs> unbelievable stuff. And we are out of time. I do want to thank you for coming on and sharing these stories, um, talking about this stuff, because you know a lot of people, I mean, maybe they, they grew up in a different environment. Maybe they grew up in an environment where police officers didn't act like this. I know in my home, hometown where I grew up, um, the police were not nearly as aggressive as this. I mean, obviously, I know from from reading and, and hearing um, stories from other parts of the country that there's police that in lots of places that are that are this aggressive. But uh, I think it's very important to to shine a light on this type of behavior. And I think that's a very astute point you made, especially when it comes to policing, that a lot of the problems we have in this country are at the local level. And I think that that's the place where if we can shine a light on it and get people to realize what the hell's going on, where we can make some changes. So Trey, I want to thank you so much for coming on. And if you have anything uh, that you're working on, any projects, or if you want to let the Felony Friday audience, let them know how they can keep in touch with you. Uh, yes, I just launched a podcast myself. It doesn't have anything to do with libertarianism. I actually kind of fight to stay off of that topic <laughs> as much as I can. Um, but it's called Subversion. It's a podcast about um, human interests and, and music. I basically um, interview local musicians. And um, so you can find me at facebook.com slash subversion webcast and uh, subscribe on iTunes or, uh, or Stitcher. And uh, yeah, that's what I have going on. Awesome. Thank you so much, Trey. All right. Thank you. I want to thank Trey for coming on the show and sharing these stories today. These stories are super important, and it's good to see people, people like Trey, who have really overcome the grip of the criminal justice system. And Trey has had to overcome some bad luck along the way. As you heard during today's episode, he was targeted multiple times by police. But it's, it was cool to have Trey on for a couple of reasons. One of them being that he's a guy who listens to this show. He's a guy that is a libertarian. So he understands, he understands from a principled point of view that the drug war is unjust. He understands why it's unjust. He understands that coercive governments should not be able to dictate what people can and can't put in their body, what people can and can't transact, what they can't sell. So it was cool to have Trey on somebody to give that point of view. And I wish him luck with his podcast. And I hope you guys check that out. I will link to that on the show notes page as well. Uh, it's interesting that we talked a lot, a lot of the crimes, a lot of the crimes, I think maybe all the crimes that Trey talked about today, other than the the fireworks, his, the first time he was arrested, had to do with, with marijuana in, in some way. And yesterday, marijuana was back in the news. Unfortunately, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer made some statements that I think make it sound like the Department of Justice might be stepping up their marijuana enforcement. And it sounds like they're going to be enforcing in states that have legalized marijuana recreationally. It sounds like they're going to be enforcing marijuana, the federal marijuana prohibition. They're not going to be doing it in medical in states that have uh, have legalized medical marijuana. So here's here's some of what Spicer had to say. I'll just read the transcript 
There are two distinct issues here, medical marijuana and recreational marijuana. I think medical marijuana, I've said before that the president understands the pain and suffering that many people go through who are suffering, especially terminal diseases and comfort that some of these drugs, including medical marijuana, can bring them. And that's one that Congress, through a rider in 2014, put an appropriations bill saying that the Department of Justice wouldn't be funded to go after those folks. There's a big difference between that and recreational marijuana. I think that when you see something like the opioid addiction crisis blossoming in so many states around this country, the last thing we should be doing is encouraging people. There's still a federal law that we need to abide by when it comes to recreational marijuana and other drugs of that nature. Okay, now it's it's time to be concerned. We, we've talked about on this show before, uh, when we reviewed Jeff Sessions, we dedicated a whole episode to it a little while ago talking about Attorney General Jeff Sessions and some of the things that he might look to do as Attorney General. One of the big question marks was, what is Jeff Sessions going to do about marijuana and about the drug war in general? Because this is bigger than just marijuana. This isn't about just being able to you know, smoke pot. Personally, I don't smoke pot. It's not about that for me. It's about right and wrong. It's about not locking people in cages for ingesting something in their body. But it looks like, unfortunately, that Jeff Sessions, the Department of Justice, is going to be, in some capacity, going after these states that have legalized recreational marijuana. They're going to be backing off the medical marijuana. And they talk about the opioid crisis in they don't, they don't want it to get out of hand anymore. They don't want the mar- marijuana to feed that, which is such a ridiculous thing. Marijuana prohibition, drug prohibition, the drug war overall is one of the key drivers that has caused this ridiculous opioid crisis on top of pharmaceutical drugs and pharmaceutical in- industries having a monopoly on issuing these drugs and doctors handing them out like candy when they're not really needed. But that's we're getting a little bit into the weeds here. But to say that marijuana is somehow leading people to seek heroin is just insane. That that's, that's just ridiculous. If anything, if people could have access to marijuana, then they'd never search for opiates in the first place. You know, this really does get me fired up and for, for good reason. But at the end of the day, I think the majority of Americans on this subject are awake. The majority of Americans are woke. They understand the drug war is a complete failure. You know, I just saw a new poll that came out uh, just yesterday that said over 70% of people out there do not want the feds to get involved in any of these states that have legalized recreational marijuana. So that's definitely a good sign. I don't think at the end of the day that this is something that Trump is going to allow Sessions to pursue. I think what we're seeing now is more some negotiating by Trump, some uh, some posturing rather than policy. Uh, on one hand, I don't think the DEA really has the resources to escalate the war on marijuana. So I'm not sure where Trump's play is here or why he would do this. But I'm hopeful that this is some sort of negotiating tactic because I really hope that he's not going to take he's not going to escalate a war on marijuana to these states that have legalized recreational marijuana because it is not going to end well for him and it's not going to end well for the country and it's just going to be a sloppy mess. So if he does do it and this does go forward, we you better believe it that we're going to hold Trump, we're going to hold Jeff Sessions, we're going to hold all these people, hold their feet to the fire for throwing innocent people in jail, people that have done nothing wrong other than consumed or exchanged a plant. So 
this this has got to be fired up, guys. But but that's that's good. That's good. It's it's good to get fired up every once in a while here. And the injustice in this country, it's uh, it's not hard to get fired up. Hopefully, you enjoyed the format of today's show. I want to encourage you guys to check out the Felony Friday archive. You can go to felonyfriday.com to see that. If you have any comments for me, you want to shoot me any guest suggestions or any ideas, uh, any criminal justice stories you'd like me to talk about, you can get me at felonyfriday at lionsofliberty.com. You can also chat with me on Facebook in the Lions of Liberty forum. It's our online uh, forum where we discuss ideas, everything about liberty. It's growing rapidly. You can find it by going to Facebook, punching Lions of Liberty forum in the search bar at the top. Once it pops up, click join and we'll get you approved. Also, if you haven't yet stopped by the Lions of Liberty store, please consider doing that. Uh, it's lionsofliberty.store. You can check out our t-shirts and our koozies. That's right. We now have Lions of Liberty koozies for sale, and they are freaking awesome looking. Uh, make sure to check them out. One last note, like I said at the beginning, if you want to get our exclusive audio that we're releasing tomorrow, our blooper reel, our Lions of Liberty outtakes, go to lionsofliberty.com support and join at at least the $5 level. You can also join at 10 or 25 but that $5 level will get you that exclusive audio content. That's all I got for today, guys. Thank you for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. Burning.